This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello and welcome to Schroeder's Global Market Perspectives, our podcast specifically designed for South African investors taking a deeper look at market developments all over the world. My name is Ibeth van Heerden. I'm the head of our intermediary business here in South Africa. And I am delighted to have as our guest today, Remy Olipatan, Head of Multi-Asset Growth and Income at Schroeder's. A warm welcome to you, Remy. Hello. Now, when we look back at markets during July, the big standout observation must certainly be China's announcement of tighter regulation for the education sector and how heavily that weighed on emerging markets, but also markets in the US. But before we look at equity markets more closely, Remy, it feels to me like much of this year has been spent debating whether or not we'll see a rise in inflation. But by now it seems clear with much greater certainty that investors should start thinking of preparing their portfolios for a higher inflation environment. Now, the role of bonds in multi-asset portfolios with historically low yields has already raised questions about their value in these strategies. And with many parts of equity markets on high valuations, now higher inflation could then really devastate returns, potentially. But yet we've seen, um, and I don't want to say unprecedented, but (laughs) truly unprecedented, Um, market recovery, or should I say a market reaction to a very brief recession. Now, do you think investors can expect markets or asset prices to respond in the same way as they've done before in higher inflation environments? Well, it's quite difficult, as you say, because the conditions this time round are certainly different from maybe the 70s, the last time where we had a very high um, inflationary environment. Um, today, we have a situation where bond yields are at all-time lows globally, and in some um, markets, we still have negative bond yields. Um We also have a situation where equity valuations are already quite stretched. So the starting valuations and yields don't necessarily lend itself to um, inflation at all. It really increases the um, potential for returns to be eroded if inflation starts to increase. So the backdrop isn't particularly helpful for an inflationary regime. Two things to say, though. Firstly, we need to be careful about the type of inflation, so the the level of inflation. Secondly, the journey matters. So starting with the first, the level of inflation. The market at the moment expects inflation to rise, but not to overshoot. So no one really expects hyperinflation of the 70s. If anything, if we look at where inflation break-evens are in the U.S., they're currently just above 2% um, over the next five years. So investors expect um, inflation to return to the Fed's target. The same is true elsewhere, even in Europe. 
investors are expecting some level of inflation, but not hyperinflation. Um, inflation around 2%, 2 to 3%, that is fine. That's an environment where a lot of companies will actually be quite pleased because the prices um, ensure that they can earn quite decent level of earnings. Um, inflation around 2 to 3% actually is helpful when it comes to growth. It's helpful for capital expenditure. That's a helpful level of inflation. It's not necessarily the level that strangles growth. Above 4%, we will start to get worried, and that's when investors should put the shock brakes on their portfolios. But as we start moving towards 2 to 3%, that should actually be welcomed. And central banks are hoping we get there. Investors expect them to get there. And so all in all, that's good. The journey matters. The reason why the journey matters is that as we start to talk about inflation, we need to start expecting bond yields to rise. The journey that will be ideal is one where bond yields rise gradually. Um, the reverse has been happening with regards to U.S. bond yields recently. Over the last three months, they've been falling. Our view is that they should rise. Um, the first fair value for us is around 1.6%. Um, at the moment, we're slightly below that on the U.S. 10-year, so we do expect it to rise. But we expect the increase to be gradual because, again, we're not expecting hyperinflation. We just need bond yields to rise to a level that justifies growth and higher prices. The journey matters because if bond yields were to rise very quickly, then that could cause a tantrum, particularly for equities and the valuation of equities. As, we meant, as I mentioned previously, they are stretched. So all in all, we think that inflation can rise. It shouldn't be a problem for asset prices as long as it was moderate levels of inflation. Higher than three to four, going towards 4% is a challenge. In portfolios today, it's important to have exposure to real assets like commodities. It's important to have exposure to properties and REITs as a hedge against inflation moving too high. But with moderate levels of inflation, equities can still do quite well. Thank you, Remy. You mentioned commodities could be a beneficiary from higher inflation. Other than REITs and real estate, is there other particular parts of the commodity markets that you look at more positively? And of course, I have to ask, what is your view on gold in this environment? Well, in the case of commodities, I think what's really interesting now is the fact that we can take a view on both supply and demand. So if we take a step back, commodities has been a very difficult area. It has been the orphan asset for the last 10 years. Um, a lot of asset allocators have, you know, tried to avoid commodities um, with the exception of gold that I'll come back to. So the entire complex is looking rather interesting, both energy, industrial metals and agriculture. And what, what, one of the reasons we find it interesting is that we can make a case for supply and demand. So on the supply side, over the last 10 years with commodities as an orphan asset, 
supply has been rather muted. It's been below average. We've had a lot of production cuts, a lot more discipline, particularly on the industrial metal side and agriculture. And what that means is that we don't have a lot of excess supply. Actually, if anything, we're still seeing a lot of supply deficit. And we know with energy markets, OPEC have been very careful with regards to supply. So when you don't have excess supply, what you tend to have is a floor for commodities. And so for commodities to move higher, we definitely need demand. We need to see better growth, better activity. But we have that flaw because we don't have excess supply. There's a lot of discipline now. And this is a very positive backdrop for commodities. Having that supply discipline really provides a good starting ground for commodities to take off. It's like, you know, assume like you're trying to light a fire. You have all the materials there and it can really excel. We believe that demand will be better and that will support, that will provide that tailwind for commodities going forward. So this is the decade for commodities in our view, the entire complex. Now I have to say with the exception of gold, unfortunately, this is not the perfect environment for gold. The reason is if we expect inflation to return, that needs to come with higher yields. At the moment, real yields, which is nominals, less inflation, is very low. And it's negative in the US, minus 1% today. So higher inflation, central banks will have to raise interest rates. Real yields need to rise. Empirical evidence shows that gold and real yields are not good friends. When real yields is rising, gold tends to struggle. And so our view is that real yields will rise, which means gold will struggle. The other issue facing gold is it's not really exciting. <laughs> In a world where growth is likely to return, the demand is for activity. It's for commodities that you need to use in order to deliver that activity. And so there will be a rotation away from gold, which is your safety, into taking risk. So the demand will be for industrial metals because we've got to make things. We've got fiscal stimulus towards infrastructure. We've got to build things. And so there is going to be more demand for energy and industrial metals. And there's a feeling that people need to eat. We need to produce more crops. So there will be a demand for agriculture. So there's a demand problem that will be an issue for gold. The final thing is the direction of the dollar. Now, this one is tricky because there are arguments for the dollar to appreciate. There are arguments for the dollar to depreciate with the amount of fiscal stimulus happening in the US. So that's tricky. But the point is there isn't a clear view for the dollar. Gold really benefits from a weaker dollar. And it's hard to make a case for the dollar either way. So you don't have that tailwind for gold. So actually, in our view, we expect commodities to do very well, every sector, except gold. That's very interesting. Thank you for that, Remy. Now, what about equity markets? Um, in the US, quarter two earnings have been very strong, and we saw the US market end in July um, higher again. 
Do you think that there's room for more growth? Earnings growth has really surprised um, over the last couple of um, quarters. Um, It really has been the positive topic for equity markets, particularly in the US and thankfully in Europe, because we have had a few issues with profitability over the last couple of years. Um, And so seeing those positive surprises has been a real tailwind for equities. Can it get any better? Actually, when we speak to our um, equity investors at Schroeder's, we believe that, yes, there is still room for equities for earnings to surprise. Um, The backdrop is very conducive for companies. The recovery has just started. You know, we haven't got to full reopenings yet globally. We're just at the very beginning. So there is still room for operational leverage to feed into better earnings. Um, particularly with the cyclical sectors. Um, The banks still have some more room to deliver strong earnings, particularly with regards from lending on the industrials, materials and energy companies still have some room and also the consumer. We have a very positive view on the consumer in DM. We believe that there is a lot of opportunities for more consumer spending. Um, We believe that savings rate will continue to decline. And this is a very, very good opportunity for a lot of goods, particularly in the consumer discretionary side of things. So it has been a very, very um, his, the achievements when it comes to earnings has been historical, unprecedented, but we haven't finished yet. Um, certainly for this year and early next year, we still believe that there is room for more upside surprises. Thank you, Remy. From your perspective, what would you say are the essential learnings for investors from the recent developments we've seen in China? That's a great question. I like the way you phrased it in terms of the the learnings. And I think that um, certainly if we look at how Chinese equities performed last year, I mean, if you look at the chart, it was really up in a straight line, a very steep line, which is unusual. I think the key lesson is a reminder that investing in Chinese equities comes with a lot of volatility. The recent events are unfortunately typical. Um, An investment in Chinese equities and other parts of the emerging market complex should come with a decent risk premium. And what I mean by that is that there should be um, an adequate level of compensation in the valuation of these equities to provide investors with some sort of cushion against these types of events. Typically, they're politically motivated, but these events are common. Based on the performance last year and in the first quarter of this year, it's fair to say that that compensation for that level of risk was very limited. What we have seen so far in terms of the correction in Chinese equities makes it a little bit more interesting in terms of actually, we can see that the risk premium is starting to be built. Now, our view is that the regulatory backdrop will remain very uncertain in China. And that's because there is a clear policy intention to have um, a, a, 
an economy that focuses on common prosperity. This is the main goal of policymakers in China. Therefore, we don't think that the regulatory risk is going to um, you know, reduce anytime soon. If anything, we believe that the environment will remain more uncertain. But investors don't need to look away. What we need to do is evaluate. There are some very attractively priced um, equities right now. But that valuation is going to improve. So this isn't an environment to avoid Chinese equities. If anything, we should use the valuations that are becoming more attractive to start preparing to re-engage in Chinese equities in the future. Typically, we look at multi-asset portfolios as diversified investment solutions. I just want to come back to how you think about the current and potential higher inflation environment at our multi-asset desk. How do you think about the allocation of bonds to portfolios? And what is your view on alternative assets in this environment? Could they add value? In a higher inflation regime, it's really difficult to justify including um, fixed income, certainly traditional fixed income assets like government bonds and investment grade bonds in a multi-asset portfolio. To make it even more difficult, at the current level of yields, we need to wait a little bit longer to make a case for owning bonds. The yields are far too low and not providing adequate compensation for that inflation risk. So in most of our multi-asset portfolios, we have um, below average allocations to fixed income. Now, I wouldn't rule out the entire fixed income complex because there are some interesting opportunities, certainly within the emerging market debt side. And we think corporate emerging market debt bonds are quite attractive, particularly dollar There's also interesting opportunities being created within local debt, although we're a little bit more cautious there in that real yields are positive, but we think they should be higher. So again, that's probably on our amber list in that we're waiting to add. But that is an asset class that you can own in an inflationary environment. So it's best not to rule out all fixed income. It's just a need to change the nature of the fixed income portfolio. Corporate hybrids and convertible bonds are well suited for a high inflationary environment. Outside of the fixed income complex, as you say, alternatives have a greater role. And the typical switch in that we're certainly making in our multi-asset portfolios is a reduction in fixed income into alternatives. Apart from commodities that we've already discussed, um, Property, real estate, particularly on the um, real estate investment trust side, that's an interesting area. And infrastructure is also interesting, both the equity and debt. So there are alternative assets that are worth owning in a higher inflation regime. Even the nature of an equity portfolio changes. A need to shift away from growth and defensive into value and more cyclicality. Some of our investors are unable to buy commodities for various um, 
compliance or regulatory reasons. Um, it is possible to own commodities through their equity. So energy equities, materials, um, those are interesting areas to have a higher allocation to in a higher inflation regime. Certainly some very interesting insights there. Remy, in closing and on a slightly more personal note, we are celebrating Women's Month in South Africa during August. I was wondering, if you look back over the course of your career, what would you say is maybe the best piece of advice that you've taken to heart? Or is there maybe something from your own experience that you would like to share with a woman in our audience as a little dis uh, encouragement as they craft their way in the industry? Well, happy Women's Month. Um, I forgot to mention that at the start. Um, I think from my best advice that, and something that has certainly worked for me is to, you know, start the day with a positive attitude. And even with, and, and that's, and, and I, and just to be clear, that's a very difficult advice because, you know, for example, I started today a little bit grumpy because I forgot to get my coffee, but it has improved. But what I mean by that in terms of a positive attitude is that particularly in this industry that we're in, um, in the financial industry, there are a number of knocks. And, and I think it's important that we're all aware of that, that you know, it's not always um, rosy, um, particularly with financial markets. But if we aim to start with a positive attitude, um, we take in those knocks, um, we turn it around um, and we make it rather positive. It, it really helps us because our career is also an important part of our life. Um, we, we tend to take it home with us. Um, we spend a lot of time in the office. Um, and, and I think starting with that positive attitude means that we're prepared for um, difficult and challenging environments, we have that good preparation which helps us through. Another advice that has also worked for me is to identify, um, you know, your sponsors or be sponsors for other people. Um, I think as women, it's really helpful to identify each other, be sponsors, help each other out. Um, I've had amazing female sponsors and I also you know, enjoy speaking to other females. It's it's really helpful to know. Um, you hear a lot. You 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 get advice. You can offer advice to um, others. Just that opportunity to speak to people and generate a community can be really helpful in terms of um, your progress and also in terms of um, you know providing that balance and creating that positivity. It's really important because this is um, a difficult industry. It's certainly not for the faint-hearted. So if we can all work together, um, it makes it much better. Yes, Remy, not for the faint-hearted indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Remy. As always, some very interesting and thoughtful considered perspectives from your side for our investors in South Africa. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me onto this podcast. And thank you to you, our audience. Thank you for sharing your attention with us again. This and all previous podcasts will be available on our website, along with 
additional insights from all Schroeder's professional investors and thought leaders. And that's it from me. Happy Women's Month. Keep well and goodbye. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.